good singing. All right, if you would take your Bibles, and before we get to Luke, if you would turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I'd like to say just a few words. I believe God has laid on my heart here just before we actually get into the sermon. But today is a big Sunday, and I know Dan has already mentioned to some degree in the announcements uh, with, with the uh, outreach opportunities that we have here as, as a church. But uh, Jesus, when he was ascending to heaven, you know, they said Matthew 28, 19, and 20, he said to, to the dis- disciples and to all of us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we often for- forget that very first word, go. We are to go. And to, you know, to, to, you know a- as you are going is, is, the, is, the, is the idea. As you live your life out in the community, whoever you interact with, make disciples. Be witnesses. But here in Acts, this is also the same time here with the, with the ascension as Christ, 40 days after his resurrection. Here he's, it says in Acts 1, well, look at verse uh, 7. He, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, But here it is, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. But we also are called to be witnesses, not just to do witnessing from time to time. We are called to be witnesses. And I I love verse 8 there. It's not in our own strength. We receive... We have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. We don't do it in our own power. But there's three categories here. You are to be witnesses where? In Jerusalem. This took place in Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives. And, you know, we, we, you know, we look at that even now. Our Jerusalem would be the surrounding com- community or city. We, we aren't really in a town here but the, the area around us, and it says in, in Jerusalem and then in all Judea and Samaria, that's the region around them. Uh, that, that would be you know, not all of Israel, but just the surrounding region. So you could say maybe even the county, even now. And then to, to the end of the earth as well. So you see the three categories, your immediate location, your region, and then to the end of the earth. You can't go any farther than that. Well, here, as I was thinking about this, this, this Sunday here we've announced a potential outreach to the community, to our Jerusalem, to you know, maybe to pro- 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 provide meals for those who are just in the, I guess, in, in the, the miles around the church here. And that's a neat opportunity. So we do have a, a meeting after the service for, for that. But then as I think about the third category, to the end of the earth, here, here we uh, talked about the Newmans, Jeff and Sherry Newman. Why don't you back up a couple of slides there to, the, to their picture that's already been up here. But Jeff and Sherry Newman, they, you know, the board has decided to you know, take a, st- a step of faith and, and to 
to support Jeff and Sherry Newman at $100 a month going forward. And their ministry is to have a safe haven house there in the Chicago area, which is centrally located in the U.S. for the most part. And they, they have a ministry of counseling and support and encouragement to all the missionaries to, to, the, to the end of the world, worldwide. And so by, by supporting the Newmans, in a sense, we are helping to promote the gospel ministry around the whole world. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, but then this, the, the, we had the first and the, the third category, but the second in Judea and Samaria, in the region. I, I, I got thinking about this. this did, did you know that this Sunday is Sanctity of Life Sunday? This is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and the first, I think it's the, was it the third Sunday of January each year. And this is actually the 40th Sanctity of Life Sunday. It began in 1984 with President Reagan made a proclamation that the third Sunday in January would be Sanctity of Life Sunday. So I, Dan and Deb shared this with me. Uh, and I want to just share a little bit of it with you. But just this past Tuesday, there was a March for Life rally up, up in Washington, D.C. And they, you know, they do that every year leading up to Sanctity of Life Sunday. And Pastor Greg Laurie, how many of you have heard of Greg Laurie? He's a, he's a pastor uh, out there in California. And he was invited to go to the March for Life rally this last Tuesday and to pray. And he did. And he also wrote a nice article, uh, a blog post. And if any of you would like a copy of that, just let Dan or I know. We can get you a copy of that. But I, I'd like to read just a few highlights of... Pastor Lori's comments on abortion and on Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I was just look at a, uh, some highlights here, I guess. But his, you know, the name of his article, the title of his article is Why Pro-Life is the Only Biblical Position. And he, he, he begins, the topic of abortion is very personal to me not just because I am a pastor, but because I myself was not planned. I was conceived as a result of a one-night stand, he says. And, have come to and it could have become another abortion st statistic. Thankfully, that did not happen. And he, go he goes on there, but he, he talks about how, how biblically, and we understand this from Psalm 139 and other portions of scripture that life begins at conception. He says each child is created by God and is granted the gift of life at conception. I'm grateful that my mother brought me to term and I believe unequivocally that each and every child should be given the chance to, to live. And, you know, we, we would certainly agree with that. God has a plan for every single baby conceived regardless of the circumstances. There's no such thing as an illegitimate child. Illegitimate parents, but not illegitimate children, he says. And that's true. There are people even today who say, well, if the, uh, you know, even, you know, say maybe in a case of rape, you shouldn't have that child be born. Is that right? 
No, it's still alive. It's still precious. Um, he talks about how, how abortion is murder and how there's, since the early 70s when Roe went, went into place, in the force, over 63 million babies have been aborted. And yearly, there's, there's a, the abortion industry makes $4 billion a, you know, a year. Now, I, I think that might be less now after, the, after Roe was overturned. But he, you know, he says, the truth is that abortion takes the life of an innocent child in the womb. It is plainly speaking murder. And he says, translated from the original Hebrew, the word murder, as in, you know, thou shalt not murder, Murder means to dash in pieces. And it's the intentional and forcible taking of another's life. And he, he writes, though abortion, through abortion, millions of children are being chemically burned, cut to pieces, suctioned, starved, crushed, poisoned, and impaled in, in, the, in the womb. Yeah, that's, that's just hard to read. It's hard to think about. But it's true. That's what happens. Um, so many people don't see life as beginning at con con conception. They think life is really when they are sustainable on, on their own. <laughs> well, that's very dangerous to think like that. Uh, what else here? Choices besides abortion. I, I, I really thought he put it well here. If you have conceived a child and it's possible, marry the father and raise the child and raise the child to, 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 together. Or, if you can't do that, raise the child as a single mom. And if you can't do either of those things, carry the child to term and put him or her up for, for adoption. Uh, just so important. And we, we would support that, of course, as well, because life is precious. Um, let's see here. At the very end here, he talks about our role as our pro-life role as Christians. And we should be pro-life if you're a Christian. That's the position of the Bible. But he says, with all the emotion and passion about this topic, let's do everything we can to help any woman who finds herself pregnant and to make the right decisions so, so she doesn't have to struggle with the aftermath of a wrong choice. And then he, he says, let us also do everything we can to care for families who need it. Caring for moms and children should be a priority of the church more than ever before, and it should be, and, and it is for our church as well, and so you know that last year we partnered with Birthright of Keokuk. In May we had a donation time when we donated all sorts of things uh, for these care packages uh, to Birthright for these mothers who have, who have babies who, who are in need, and we're going to do that again in May, so that's coming up, but just, just a reminder here from Acts that our outreach should be in Jerusalem, in, 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 our, in our Jerusalem, in our Judea and Samaria, into to the end of the earth. And I'm just excited to see how that's taking place. So, Sanctity of Life Sunday. Um, let's go ahead and just pray right now. Ask for the Lord's blessing on this time in His Word. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you today for the privilege again to be here worshiping you together as believers. We thank you for the songs we have sung, the, the worship and singing, the worship and giving. 
Lord, we do pray that you would be honored and glorified even in this time as we open the word together. We, Lord, I just pray you would strengthen me as I preach. May we be attentive to the message of the word and be willing to apply whatever the Holy Spirit lays on our hearts, whatever decisions we need to make. Lord, we think today also of the outreach of Bethel Bible Church. We thank you for the reminder from Acts here that we are to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea and Samaria, even to the end of the, the earth. And Lord, we do pray that you would bless the, the ministry, even to the community with these meals. Lord, we pray for the ministry of, of birthright, this pregnancy center in Keokuk that ministers to these, these women and families in need. And Lord, as, as we think about the sanctity of life Sunday, we thank you that you created every, every person, uh, Lord, just as you have de de designed, Lord, perfect, and uh, with, with a plan. And Lord, we, we, I just pray that we would cherish each and every life and do what we can to protect it. And Lord, we pray for any women, even today, who are considering an abortion, that they would choose life and choose to bring that, that baby to, to term and please you. And Lord, I pray for the salvation, of, Lord, of, of any who are, are not in Christ uh, as, as well, Lord. And as we think about spreading the gospel to the end of the world, we think even of the Newmans and their ministry to missionaries worldwide who need counseling, who need support and encouragement and special care. And we just pray that you would minister through them in a special way, bringing glory to yourself. And so, Lord, we, again, just pray for your blessing on this time together. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, have you turned to Luke 19? We're going to be at the end of Luke 19 into the beginning of chapter 20. This morning, as we proceed through this wonderful gospel. But today we look at the emotions of Christ, and we are going to talk about emotions. And uh, maybe you, you women are excited about that, and I, I think you men are probably rolling your eyes. E emotions, what? <laughs> we don't need to talk about that, but here we're going to talk about the emotions of Christ in three different circumstances. And Jesus, as a man, was, he was not just an average, even-keel guy. I mean, he, he had times when he was very emotional, as, as we all do. And he had times when he was low and discouraged. You think of when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane there. But he, in this, in this, uh, passage here, we see some different emotions in these three events that I think we can learn some lessons from. So let's go ahead and read the passage starting at Luke 19, verse 41, all the way to 20, verse 8. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. 
For the days will come upon you when your enemies will be set up, will set up a barricade around you and will surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. And in chapter 20, one day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. All right, so this is our text for the morning, and as you know, as we've been progressing through Luke, two weeks ago, when we were last meeting, we looked at the triumphal entry, the, the previous passage there, how Jesus was publicly worshipped as their Messiah. He, he fulfilled Zechariah 9.9, the prophecy there, riding the colt, the foal of a donkey, through the streets of Jerusalem. And, you know, the, the, the people were laying palm branches and they're closed down on the ground in, in reverence and awe of their king, shouting, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and all these things. They were worshiping Christ as Messiah. And the expectation was that Jesus as the Messiah would now set, set up his kingdom. He would somehow defeat the Romans who were in control and were hated by all. He would defeat Rome. He would set up his kingdom. He would declare himself as king. This was the expectation. This is right after the triumphal entry. And so the people, there's just this hope, this, you know, finally the time has come. The kingdom is here. And they were excited to see how he would set up his kingdom. But the reality, as you know, and as we've just read in this passage, he, 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 he does not do that. He does not set up his kingdom. He, he has yet to, to, to do that. He, he will do it in the future, after after the rapture, after the tribulation, after the, his, his second coming and the battle of Armageddon, then he will set up his kingdom right there in Jerusalem. But he came in that first coming in, in humility, ultimately to die, to purchase our salvation. And they didn't understand that at this point. But we, we can learn some things through, through the emotions that he 
ex ex exhibits here. But the first thing we see is Christ's sorrow reminds us that we don't see as we should. Christ's sorrow reminds us we don't see as we should. So here we see his sorrow. Here he's such a joyous occasion, and he's, he's being, he's being worshipped and praised, but he comes in and everybody's watching, what is the king going to do now? And what, what does he do? What's the first thing he does? Verse 41, and he drew near and saw the city and wept. Wow, that's not a natural response, is it? I mean, that's not what you would think a victorious king would do. He would get to the city and he would, he starts crying. He's, he's sorrowful. He's mourning. And he, he looks at the city of Jerusalem and he, not just at the city, the, the buildings, he's looking at the people who make up the city, who are largely un, unbelievers, who have, who have rejected him. There was a small amount of people who actually truly worshipped him, but as a whole, he looked at the city made up of these people, and he knew even those who followed him were not following him for the right reasons. They, they wanted to see more signs and wonders. They wanted more miraculous things done. And they were just... They didn't truly have sincere faith in him as savior it, it was superficial faith but here he has compassion on all i i think th i think that's neat he has compassion on all people not just the believers but on the unbelievers who didn't accept him christ wants all people to be saved not just who we would look to be as good people for there are no good people we're all sinful and wicked but here, you think of the people in Jerusalem. Think of their opportunity. Of all the people to have ever lived on this, on this planet, those people who lived in Israel, specifically in Jerusalem, during these few years when Jesus was in his ministry, when he performed miracles, when he preached, when he taught, when he did all these things, you would think that they would believe. That they were seeing Jesus in the flesh, but they didn't. They didn't believe. And I think if you or I were there, we'd probably fit right in with the rest of the crowd, doing the same thing. He, he knew what was in man. In John 2, 24 and 25, in the parallel passage, we see why he was weeping. Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, but he, he, he knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he knew, he himself knew what was in man. He, he knew that, that people weren't sincerely following him as Savior. It, it was just superficial. They were more interested in the kingdom, in peace on earth, than having peace with God through Christ. They were more focused on, on physical peace on earth. Don't get me wrong, it sure would be nice to have peace on earth, right? I mean, with all the wars and chaos and division going on, it sure would be nice just to have peace on earth. And one day that, that will come when Christ sets up his kingdom. But it's more important to have peace with God. 
And that's, that's why Christ came, to, to offer us peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So, ironically here it says, what's he saying in verse 42? Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. He's not talking about this physical peace of defeating Rome and setting up a physical kingdom. He's talking about peace with God through, through him, salvation. And ironically, uh, Jerusalem is the city of peace. Yet here, when the Prince of Peace was with them in the flesh, they rejected him. They would crucify him. And that's why he's weeping. He, he came to bring true peace. And they, their, their eyes were not open to it. And it says there, at, at, at verse 44, at the very end, because you did not know the time of your visitation... You, you just didn't see it. You didn't know that right now the Savior of the world is in your midst. He's about to die for you, and you don't even see it. You don't even, your eyes are not open to it. Your hearts are not open to true peace. So he's sorrowful. They, they don't see as they should. And too often we fall into this way of thinking, too, where we would rather... We're too focused on worldly things. We want peace. We want people to get along. We want people to get along in our families or whatever it may be. And we, we need to realize that peace with God is far more important than physical peace. And so, so he's weeping over the city. Now, he gives a prophecy of, of what would actually happen. Now, it says in verse 43... He gives this, this prophecy of, of an event that happened 40 years later. This was 30 A.D., and in 70 A.D., the Romans would come in, and they would destroy Jerusalem. They would destroy the temple, and there was a siege, and it just it happened exactly as he said. You know, he says there, your enemies will set up a barricade around you. And surround you and hem you in on every side. That's a siege. Nobody could leave Jerusalem or, or come in. And they would eventually run out of food. And they did. You, they tear you down to the ground. You and your children with you. And, and then here, the, what's going to happen to the temple? They will leave not one stone upon another. This, this happened. And he, he knew that it was ultimately because they... They had rejected him as their savior, as Messiah. The second thing we see here is Christ's anger. He, here he has anger. It reminds us that we don't do what we ought. Christ's anger reminds us we don't do what we ought. And we see his anger here. He, he comes, he's weeping as he comes into the city. But now he goes to the temple. Now, I'm sure the people are still, they still have this expectation, this hope. What will our king do? They're, they're still wanting to, to know. And he goes to the temple. And I, I would have liked to, to, to see this, to see what Christ did. Uh, but he, he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold. I mean, he went in and he was furious. He, he saw this temple courtyard, which was very huge. And he, 
the money changers, the animals, the, the worshipers who had come for the Passover. And just this scene where it was not a worshipful, a worshipful scene. They were not, it was not a spirit of praising God. It was just, there was a lot of dread and uh, greed and all these things that were present. As people came in and, you know, there were people making unjust money. I, I like how Dr. MacArthur sums it up. He, he describes the scene. He says that it had essentially turned into a commerce center where hundreds of thousands of animals and other items needed for the sacrifices were sold. Theoretically, people could bring their own animals to be sacrificed. However, those animals had to first be approved by the priests, and they had a vested interest in rejecting them to boost the sales of animals from which the high priest Annas and Caiaphas profited. So, so people were not really bringing animals anymore because usually they were not approved. So why go through all that hassle? And here he goes on, money changers had also set up shop there. They provided a needed service. The temple tax could only be paid using Jewish coins. You know, most of the people from, from elsewhere in Israel, they would, you know, you know, you know around the world, they, they would have had Roman coins. Who had, you know, there were coins with, with an image of the emperor on it. And the emperor was worshipped as a god, as, as a deity. And so when they got to the temple, they couldn't use a Roman coin because that was sacri-religious. Re and so they, they had to ex ex exchange it for a Jewish coin. And then they, of course, marked that up. MacArthur says as much as 12 and a half percent increase, uh, just marking it up. When here, they're trying to help them to worship, really they're just padding their own pockets. And it's, instead of being a, a prayerful, worshipful time, people are dreading this time of coming to the temple in Jerusalem. And how much money am I going to lose? How much am I going to be swindled out of my, you know, you know, you know, the money God has given me? And it, it's just not good. Jesus says, said here, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. The, this was a special time when they came to, to remember the Passover and, and, and the deliverance from Egypt and, and how there was the sacrificial lamb and it all pointed to Christ as the ultimate sacrifice. But all that had gone. And now it was just a time of making money and commerce and haggling and all, all this stuff. And it was, it was not right. And the focus had, had shifted from God to greed and to money. And so you, you can see why Jesus was so upset. And so he goes in, he drives out the money changers with their animals. Uh, he, he, he dumps out the coin jars and all this stuff flips over the tables. He was upset. It's not a sin to be angry. It's a sin to be uh, angry at the wrong things. But here, if you're angry at sin, it's not a sin to be angry. And that's, that's exactly what we see Christ doing. But there are times when we, we fall into the same trap. 
Now, we may not be doing money changing and exchange at church. I'm thankful we don't do that. But there are times when, when our focus shifts, and it's not where it should be. Some, sometimes people are more focused on what they're going to wear to church than, than focusing on God at church, or more focused on who they're going to see at church. Sometimes people are more focused on the music. Is the music going to make me feel good? On the mood, on, on my experience at church. Then just, ha- just humbling yourself and being focused on the Lord and praying. This is the Americanized way of church, really. How we focus more on what I can get out of church. Pastor better preach a good sermon, so I feel good. I, and, and so many people never want to leave church feeling bad. <laughs> so, so, many ch- so many churches don't talk about sin or you know, anything negative. But the focus is on God. And as, as Dan had re- re- reminded us so well in Sunday school, how, how it is a blessing that our, our church is, is a praying church. So many different times, all through the week. We pray, and, and that's, that's great, and I hope that con, con, continues on. But the focus, make sure your focus is right. And their focus had, had shifted. It was wrong. It was all about making money. Uh, and then the, the, next, the, next, uh, the next emotion is Christ's irritation or his annoyance. Christ's irritation reminds us there are many who are opposed to his rightful authority. He was irritated. Now, what, what happened? This was, as it come to verse 47, it says, and he was teaching daily in the temple. This is the next day. So he, he, came, he came into Jerusalem on that Sunday, the triumphal entry. But each day, you know, he knew he was going to die on Friday when the Passover lambs were also being slaughtered. He knew his days were numbered. He only had a few days left. What did he do? Jesus didn't just take it easy, and just, or he didn't just spend the week trying to psych himself up to be able to die on the cross on Friday. You know, every day he went into the temple, the courtyard there, and was teaching. He, he had a ministry. He was teaching and performing miracles right in the temple. And it says there in verse 48, the people were hanging on his words. I mean, he was having quite a ministry right up here all the way to the very end. And he wasn't just coasting or taking it easy. But he had some opposition. There were people who were opposed to him. And we see that there in verse 47. The chief priests, the scribes, the principal men of the people... We're seeking to destroy him. As you know, throughout the Gospels, Christ had more problems with organized religion than, than any other people. The, the religious leaders who knew the Bible more than the rest of the, the people were the, the ones who were so opposed to Christ. They should have been the ones to recognize him as Messiah and point the people to their Savior. Instead, they were the ones who wanted to destroy him. 
And it was really through pride. They didn't want to lose their power. They didn't want to lose their influence. And and people looked up to the scribes and the the Pharisees, the the religious leaders. And here they're they're seeking to, to destroy him. And we see here in chapter 20 in this first section how they come to him. And here he's preaching and teaching in the temple. And they come up and they ask him a question. That's not just out of curiosity. But they ask him a question hoping to, to defeat him, hoping to trip him up and, and find some reason to kill him. And so they ask him about his authority. Who gave you the authority to teach these things? Who is it? That, what, what authority do you do these things in? Uh, who, whose authority is it? Now, and we know the authority came from his heavenly father, God. So he very easily could have just said, God. And that really would have infuriated the religious leaders. But he doesn't just answer. And I love this. He actually, his response is asking them a question. And he, he was a rabbi. And back then, Jewish rabbis or teachers who had disciples, and he had 12 followers, dis, dis, disciples, but... The way they would teach, the way a rabbi would teach, is they would walk around with his disciples, and he would ask questions as, as they went. And he would just ask a question, they would answer, and he would teach. And then he'd ask another question. and So question and answer, that was the way that they did it. So this is perfectly normal. He's used to asking questions. And, but here he says, I'll ask you a question. Now tell me, the baptism of John, this John the Baptist, was it from heaven or from man? And here they're, they're in a predicament. Because everybody knew about John the Baptist. And he was, he was beloved. He had, he had died as a martyr some, some time before this, not long ago. But, but he had died and the people followed him and believed him to be a prophet. And... Had, had they, you know, you, you see the predicament there in verses 5 and 6. If they said from heaven, they'll say, why didn't you believe him? It was John the Baptist that when he saw Christ, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he pointed everyone to Jesus. That was his job. That was his calling. as the forerunner of the, of the Messiah. So if, you know, they should have said, okay, it's from God, and we'll believe in you too. But if they said from man, then the people will stone us to, to death, for they're convinced John was a prophet. And so they have the predicament here that they find themselves in. And Christ so easily just puts them in that place. And he, he knows, I, I think one reason why he didn't just give the quick answer, God is because it's Monday, and he's going to die on Friday. And had he just quickly said that, they probably would have, would, have, would have arrested him right then. And he probably would have died that day or the next day. And instead, he leaves them speechless. They didn't know where it came from. They, they didn't know what to say. And so he said, then I'm not going to tell you by, by what authority I do these things. The reason he did that 
was, was he, he, he knew he had three or four more days. It, it, it wasn't Friday yet. And you just see the precision of the timing here too. But they had rejected his, his rightful authority. And, you know, this, this happens even now. People re- reject Christ's authority. You've heard it often, I'm sure, but there are so many people who believe Jesus is just one way to heaven. He's just one of the ways. Like salvation or heaven is on top of a mountain. And you think there's, there's many different ways to climb up the mountain of salvation. You can believe in Jesus or you can believe in uh, whoever else. Just as long as you're sincere. And then you'll be saved. No, that's not biblical. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, John 14. But he's not just a way. That's, the people say that, they're rejecting the authority of Christ. Because he's the absolute authority of salvation. People say Jesus was just a good example of how to live. He's just a moral example how to live, how to die. His teachings, like you think about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, it gives a lot of good principles for for life. No, it's more than that. He's our Savior. He is the way of salvation. We we must believe in Him as Savior. People, even now, they, they deny His Lordship and they live as if they were God. They, they put themselves in the, in the place of God. Now, they may not say it. They just live the life that they want to live. And they act as God in, in, in their lives uh, with, with no regard to Christ and his authority. You know, there's even people who believe you know, false teaching that you one day can become a God. That, that's what the Mormon church teaches and preaches. That if you are sincere and you do what you're supposed to, you can one day be a god of your own universe. And it's, it's, it's not biblical. It's not right. That's rejecting the rightful authority of Christ, who is the way of salvation. So here are the religious leaders. They, they had rejected him. They wanted to see him dead. How about you? Have, have you... Are, are you submitting to the rightful authority of Christ? Have, have you trusted him as Savior? Just some questions of application here. You think about these different events. Are you seeing things as you should? You think about the focus of Jerusalem, of the people of Jerusalem. They were more interested in physical peace on earth than peace with God. Peace with God is, is what really matters. If, if you're not right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, then when your time on earth is over, you will not go to be with God. You'll be separated from Him and, and suffer for, for, forever in hell. Put your faith in Christ. Repent of your sin and trust Christ as your Savior. Uh, be, be at peace with God. Uh, are you doing the things you should? Is your focus right? Here, his, his reminder was, 
His house was to be a house of prayer, focusing on the Lord, not focusing on whatever it is that we want to focus on, whatever interests us. Are you focused on God? Are you submitting to Christ's authority as King, as Savior? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you today for, for the reminder of how we ought to see things, what we ought to do, how we need to submit to Christ's authority. Here we see Christ in these different circumstances. Lord, we, we know that ultimately Christ came to be our Savior, to die in our place on the cross, to help us to have peace with God. Lord, I pray today that everyone here in this church who's, who's present this morning knows Jesus Christ as Savior and has believed and is walking you know, in obedience with Christ. Lord, we, we just pray that we would have a focus that is right, that's focused on you, that we would be people of prayer. Pray that we would submit every day, every decision to the authority of Christ and seek to obey. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.